Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of MBA's Unplugged. I'm your host, Fedge McDermott, and now we'll be diving into today, Thursday, June 4th. Um, so in terms of program office announcements today, uh, there was there is one announcement uh, for tomorrow. Uh, the USC Marshall Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion is providing a space on Friday at noon Pacific time for the USC Marshall community to come together, reflect, and form a collective call to action during this time of overwhelming anger, sadness, and frustration. All are welcome, and you can register through an email that you all received through the Office of Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion uh, sometime around Tuesday afternoon is when that email go, went out. Uh, so you can go there to register for that. Um, that was the only program office announcement we have, we have for today. Um, so going into today's speaker, uh, we'll be talking with Aria Aaron, who is the president of the Black Graduate Business Leaders, uh, and who I thought would be an excellent guest to have on today uh, to talk about the current climate going on in the nation. Um, so unlike past episodes, uh, there will be no sort of intro segments, uh, just due to the nature of the conversation, the seriousness, I don't wanna sort of take away from any of that sort of impact that might be had. Uh, so there'll be none of that, as well as uh, rather than talking about the Marshall specific I guess experience, Aria will be put more through questions centered around the current issues going on in the nation. Um, fortunately, there's plenty of time left, so I'm sure we'll be able to have you back on again in the future <laughs> to talk about your Marshall experience. But anyway, uh, welcome Aria. So how, how are you doing right now? Um, you know, it's been an interesting uh, few weeks, honestly, not just few days. Um, um, but I'm excited to be on and to have a very fruitful conversation that I think is very timely and appropriate um, for us to have at this point in time. So I'm, you know, excited and I appreciate you for asking me to come on at this yeah. time. Well, I'm, I'm glad that you were actually willing to sort of have this conversation uh, <laughs> in this setting. So uh, given that this show has gotten a fair amount of viewers, I felt like it was a really a good spot to be in, in terms of uh, reaching a large audience. But before we get into more of the questions that are centered around what's going on currently, uh, it wouldn't be fair to not first get to know Arya herself. So uh, before jumping into there, into that deep end, uh, why don't you first talk us a little bit more about your background? So where you're from, yeah. where you went to school and sort of what your career was prior to arriving here at, at Marshall. Yeah, so I'm originally, originally born and raised in Nashville, Tennessee. Mm. My uh, family is still there, so it's, it's, it's still very much home um, to me, but I haven't lived there in, I mean, what, like almost 12 years now, you know, or something crazy. Like, wow. no, 11, 11 years, 11 years. I'm not that old, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> like adding time on myself. Uh, you know, it's been I, that long since, uh, it's, you know, <laughs> listen, it's crazy. I'm sitting here like, wait, how many, how many years has it been? Um, it's been 11. I'm gonna give myself that one year back, you know, um, and everything and act like I'm not almost close to 30, but you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, but yeah, grew up in Nashville. I'm the oldest of like three kids. Um, my mom and dad and my little sister who's in high school, they still live in Nashville. Um, and I was home not too long ago. Uh, I had a great time with them while I was there for about three weeks and, but came back to LA to get my work done. Um, but yeah, born and raised from Nashville, Tennessee. And I will say, because it's so interesting when I tell people that I'm from Nashville, they're like, Oh my gosh, I love Nashville. It's amazing. Like all these places, have you ever been there? And I'm like, nah, 
<laughs> I have never been to any of those places. No, it's uh, Nashville is very different than um, in the last 10, 11 years, like since I left, it's grown, you know, just like crazy. It's blown up as like a popular yeah. sort of even vacation spot now. Exactly, which is crazy to me. I'm like, why would anybody <laughs> come to Nashville to vacation? You know, but I'm still thinking of Nashville 11 years ago. Yeah. You know what I mean? I'm not thinking of it today and, and all that it has to offer as far as culture and different things like that. So, you know, I'm a, you know, if I, people ask me and I say like, oh, why, why are you interested in Nashville? Don't take it personal. It's just, <laughs> you know, my, my vision and my thought of Nashville is completely different. It's home. You know what I mean? <laughs> and you said you, your, your youngest uh, sibling was in high school still? Yeah, she's, uh, she'll be a senior this coming year. So, oh, so Crazy, I, she graduates a few days after we do, so. Oh, really? I'm excited about to, that, yeah. So you're going to go straight from our graduation over to Nashville for hers. Pretty much, that's, that's yeah. the plan, so it's exciting. My, my youngest sibling is actually just graduating high school now, too, so. Oh, wow. She doesn't get the commencement or anything, though, so. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's really unfortunate um, with this year, because I know, especially in high school, you know, because it's like your first graduation, you know, your first series, I mean, you may have had pre-K graduation, I guess, but like <laughs> your first real graduation is in high school. So it's like, oh, you yeah, know. no prom or anything either too. Yeah, exactly. You know, and those memories um, really, really suck. So, um, but, you know, congratulations to your sister. Though. That's, <laughs> you know, I'm sure it's, it's a full circle moment, like seeing her graduate. And um, or, yeah, you, know, you mean the, the, the fact that she's getting she's, old moment? She, yeah, you know. <laughs> You know, you see them when they're, they're younger and you're like, oh, I never thought you would grow up. Here you are. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, I'm from born and raised in Nashville. I left in 2009 to go to um, Florida A&M University, mm -hmm. which is in Tallahassee, Florida. Okay. It's a historically black college and university, um, also known as the HBCU. So I'm a proud HBCU alum. alum. Um, I studied journalism while I was there. I thought that, well, it's funny because all throughout high school, I thought I was going to be a filmmaker and okay. um, be like an actress and writer, director, had dreams of winning an Oscar. Um, but then I realized, like, I, I think I have more for like the business neck, business acumen. Mm -hmm. um, and as I started to kind of learn more about, you know, Oprah and uh, <laughs> Kathy Hughes and some other very dynamic uh, black women, actually, who mm -hmm. are media executives. I started to think, oh, you know, I could be one of those one day. Yeah. And um, FAMU, which is what we call Florida A&M, um, only has journalism. So for me, I was like, well, I have to study journalism. Um, oh. You know, so your only so, was journalism. So there was no. I mean, I minored in business. Okay. I, um, but the crazy story is like, I listened to some, probably not some, so great advice. I was told, cause I was planning on double majoring. I was like, I'm going to do both journalism and business as a major. Okay. And I got some advice that was like, uh, double majoring may be too much, just minor in business and just do journalism if that's the industry you want to be in. So I'm like, okay. So that's what I did. Um, but then like my senior year, I realized that I'm like, I hate journalism. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I can't be like, I can't be a journalist for the rest of my life. And not to say like, I expect, I totally respect 
the field and, and what people do like mm. in journalism. But I also recognize it takes a very special person to work in journalism. And I'm not that person. Yeah. So I kind of had to, you know, <laughs> right. <laughs> you can't tell you're doing this podcast. I, this is the most journalistic thing. That I'm <laughs> do. And I already told you this thing barely gets edited. So <laughs> <laughs> I got no it, patience I for it. that. <laughs> Yeah, it um, I, it takes a very special person to be a journalist, like to deal with the career, the, the type of career and that long hours and the kind of nomadic lifestyle if you want to move up in markets and different yeah. things like that. And all I had prepared for up until senior year was pretty much working in journalism on like the production side. And mm. um, so I got scared and was like, I'm not doing that. And so <laughs> I went to Wake Forest University. Um, the year after I graduated from FAMU and I actually got a um, master of arts in management from uh, Wake. Okay. So um, Wake has this very specific program um, that's for students who didn't major in business, but wanted to work in corporate. So gotcha. it's kind of like you're taking our core classes that we took this year is yeah. pretty much like all I took at Wake, you know, <laughs> core classes are oddly familiar. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so I took that at Wake, but what it helped me to do was to get in corporate for sure. Like um, I was able to come out of that without having quote unquote experience, you know, but was able to transition in marketing. So after I graduated from Wake, I just did kind of like my year there. I um, ended up getting a job at Georgia Pacific in Atlanta, Georgia, which is uh, pretty much a anything lumber they deal with so whether that's paper whether that's uh construction material they do fiberglass all types of chemicals stuff like that um gp does all of that yeah right i was on the uh retail paper product side working for um the angel soft bathroom tissue brand team so uh (laughs) another brand well <laughs> you like Angel Soft? <laughs> that's all my parents bought growing up. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, that's usually how like people transition over and start using it to their adult life. It's like, well, what what did my parents buy? Right. That's what I buy, you know. <laughs> um, it's changed a lot, you know, since your parents bought it. But uh <laughs> it's a, you know, it was interesting working on tissue for close to five years. Um, but I think I definitely had a moment where I was like <laughs> I also don't like this and that's just what I do. Like I, uh, uh, I found that when I don't like something, I just like run back to school yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm gonna do something else. Um, and so following that pattern and that trend, yep. I decided to come to USC Marshall um, so that I could continue or get back into, I guess you could say um, the entertainment and media industry. So um, those panic moves almost brought you in a full circle. Listen, hey, that's how it always is. It's the it's the panic moves. That's what it is. Like I'm always, oh my gosh, I don't like this. Let me go back to school. It's just crazy. Um, but yeah, it it has really kind of been a full circle moment, I think, for me in a in a lot of different ways. And and it's it's so funny because I was telling someone not too long ago that in 2013, so I, I was going through my phone that I have now, and I found the first picture that I had. Um, and like, I guess I ever took on my iPhone, I don't know, yeah. or saved on my the first iPhone. thing that's on your cloud somewhere. Yeah. 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 It was a picture from 2013 and it was a, a picture of the LA skyline, like at night. Oh, wow. 
And it was just a reminder to me that I think that I've been kind of subconsciously almost like Mm -hmm. thinking and planning and plotting and wanting to be in LA, but just never really knowing what was the right way to get there. Um, And then there's other things in life, like, you know, that holds you back. (laughs) Sometimes I won't go into those specifics, (laughs) those specifics, but um, you know, it, it took a while for me to come to the realization that in order to be happy, I think I needed to make this next step. Mm. Um, And so for me, it was coming to LA and, you know, Marshall gave me that opportunity to come to LA um, and to be able to work toward at least getting into what I've always really kind of wanted to do, you know? So given that you actually went to Wake to get your uh, master's in arts of management, what what then made you say, okay, well, I want an MBA on top of that as well. Yeah. Um, So the MA honestly for me was never the end all be all. Um, MBA is still very much kind of considered the, master's degree of business right like yep. most people you talk to they have if I say oh yeah I have an MA and it's in business people will be like what <laughs> <laughs> you know that's not it that's not an MBA like what what is that and so um for me I knew I was always going to go back and get an MBA um it was just kind of a matter of when and mm. and how so at the time Wake was like if you do this year you get the MA program, like within five years, you can come back to our full-time program and just do the last year. So like originally Uh that was my plan. Um, Unfortunately, when I was planning for school, um, they had gotten rid of their full-time MBA program. And so we weren't Uh able to do that, like that benefit, (laughs) which was fine with me too, because you know, it was past the five years at that point, pretty much. Um, and I also kind of felt like I wanted to get the full experience again, quite frankly. Um, sign there too. Yeah. So for me, it was totally like, yeah, it's okay. But I always plan to, and, and I'll caveat that like part of it has a lot to do with the fact that I'm a black woman in America. Mm-hmm. Um, I never want to not check the box because I don't want it to ever hinder me later in life. Like I don't want people, if the NBA is the only thing that could potentially, because I don't have it, um, I knew that I didn't want that to ever hold me back. Gotcha. And so that played a part in it too. It was like, I I have to go back and finish this thing. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy to get a a second master's, I guess, (laughs) I guess, but I don't really think of it that way. You know, it's just kind of like my MBA journey and um, helping me again to get from, you know, just kind of to pivot, into something different mm-hmm. and then uh, I guess since your first picture was the LA skyline you yeah. made a few visits to LA but you never actually lived out there before I you're saying before I moved before I came to Marshall yeah 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 I um I had visited I visited the first time when I was 15 because I won this like um filmmaker scholarship crazy enough well, there you um go. <laughs> when I was 15. So it was kind of like in, you know, in the stars, I guess you could say, <laughs> but I got um, a chance to visit LA and I was just, Oh my gosh. I was like, Oh my goodness. It's, it's amazing. I love it. This is awesome. Uh, awesome city. It's like, I can't wait to come back. I didn't even see the beaches that time, but it was just like, <laughs> again, you know, when I was 15, Nashville was nowhere near what it is now. And so big city, right. Yeah. was just appealing to me in general. Right. I, I don't think I didn't really get a whole, whole lot of time to see 
much of LA, but it's pretty sprawly. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it was just kind of like, oh my gosh, big city, you know, Hollywood Walk of Fame. Like yeah. I, I was just like <laughs> totally excited and just like, oh, this is amazing, right? And so um, I saw it when I was fifteen, and I always there was just always something that just felt like you're gonna make it back here at some point. And I think. I saw that picture and when I think back to 2013, I don't remember being like, Oh, I'm about to about to go to LA. But yeah. again, it had a lot to do with life and, and what was going on in my life at the time that kind of prevented me from taking that step and that leap. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm, I'm a firm believer that timing is when it's supposed to be like things happen when they're supposed to happen. Yep. So it, you know, I needed to push through those things in life to be able to, to get to a point where I was going to step out on faith and just go with what actually made me happy. And I think that, you know, it took me a while to get there, <laughs> but um, I finally made a decision and, you know, I haven't regretted it at all. I love it out here. Um, growing up in the South all my life, it's been a, not, I wouldn't say a culture shock. I wouldn't call it a culture shock, but it's been a great like opening, you know, of, of, um, me just becoming more aware of things and the way I think about things, you mm-hmm. know what I mean? Um, and so I'm blessed to be able to, you know, experience a very different culture um, and grow to love and appreciate it for what it is. And, um, and the beaches are dope. So we'll not argue on that point. Um, <laughs> so I guess in terms of coming to Marshall for MBA, um, there's also UCLA down the street. Uh, was was sort of LA your sole destination for grad school? And if so, was Marshall sort of the only applicant in the pool? Yeah. Or were you sort of uh, shopping around a little bit? Ooh, the good questions. Here are the good questions coming out. Um, <laughs> I applied to schools. Uh, I applied to four schools. Um, thought about staying in Atlanta. Um, thought about going to New York and thought about moving to LA. I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to move to LA. Um, yeah. I, I like New York to visit. I don't know if I could personally live there myself. Um, I'm very averse to the cold. So like, yeah, <laughs> snow, like what is that is <laughs> how I usually look at snow. So, um, but, but, but I was being open. And I think that was the whole thing was like, you know, when you make big leaps of faith, I, I just am a firm believer in being open and because you just never know where things can lead. Um, but I knew that I wanted to be in LA. So uh, I did apply both to UCLA and USC. Um, and I ended up at USC. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think, I mean, I think for me, so um, a lot of the benefits to USC for me, at least, was uh, their certificate of the Business of Entertainment Association. Not association. Uh, the certificate of the Business of Entertainment. Yep. Um, yeah. I love the fact that that's done through the School of Cinematic Arts, um, especially since I had like such a you know I talked about wanting to be a filmmaker. So the film industry, studio life, those type of things are what were particularly intriguing to me. And I was like, wow, if I can get a certificate through S- um, SCA that'd be awesome. So I could build that network out and different things like that. And, you know, I didn't directly speak to it, but, a, but, but a big part for me is um, kind of like what I consider my North star is that one day I would love to 
personally invest in films. Um, so like right now, my thought process and trajectory is kind of like get a career, progress in that, um, do well for myself financially. And then I want to start to help um, independent filmmakers and different things like that find financing and funding while also funding myself, funding the films myself. Yep. Um, specifically in the term of kind of diversity and making sure there's a uh, representation, you know, because the media and entertainment is so important um, in regards to how we see ourselves and how other people see us. And I wanted to have a career that one impacted that. And then from a personal kind of like purpose standpoint, I also want to kind of feed in and impact that too, you know? So um, that was a big part of it was just like premier film school right here, able to network and get a certificate through them, you know, meet teachers, um, mm -hmm. prof professors that work there, work in the industry. Like that was huge for me. Um, I also really appreciate the small size comparatively between the two. Mm -hmm. um, you know, you know, I like to know people and their names and, and stuff like that. And sometimes I talk too much. Apologies in <laughs> advance. But, um, you know, I, I think being able to get to know everybody for the most part has um, been beneficial, you know. So I'd rather have a close-knit, smaller community instead of kind of like a community twice the size. Yeah. I think UCLA is twice the size and other programs are yeah. actually even larger. So. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, size played a part too. Well, I'm glad that USC sort of fit in with your North Star and that you ultimately chose to come and hang out with us for two years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Now, now that we're like sort of officially going to be back on campus in the fall, I'm happy about that as well. So I know, right? Isn't that crazy? But we have to do. We have to like wear masks the whole time, or something that, like that. I mean, I don't know what any of the details. I just know. <laughs> I just read the email, saw that we were going to be on campus, and I was like, all right, that's good enough for me. But I have a kente cloth mask, so I'm ready. <laughs> I'm prepared. I, I think if we have to have masks, I'll probably use my summer to sort of like stock up on some fun masks to wear every day. Yeah, exactly. It's an accessory <laughs> at that point. Exactly. Okay. Uh, so now we've taken some time to get to know a little bit more about you. Uh, we'll now sort of uh, jump into uh, the actual sort of discussion piece of the show, which uh, for today's episode is going to be more focused on uh, just uh, the current climate going on in the country, given the, the recent protests and um, police brutality in the nation. So um, just to sort of, give you a starting off point i uh, just want to just get a sense of uh, how are you feeling right now uh, given the current state of the u.s um you know that question is often kind of difficult to answer um because how i'm feeling changes pretty often quite frankly yeah. um it moves in waves um sometimes it's anchor Sometimes it's sadness, uh, sometimes it's frustration. Sometimes I'm able to find a little bit of light at the end of the tunnel, um, but then I see something else that can throw me into a loop and a, a whirlwind. And I think, you know, earlier I alluded to this, but, um, you know, it's been more than the last few days. I think a lot of people are kind of getting clued in 
with the death of George Floyd specifically, mm-hmm. but you know, um, not too long ago, we were talking about Ahmaud Arbery. Um, and, you know, that one personally actually hit pretty hard for me. Um, you know, I lived in Atlanta, but I have family all throughout Georgia. Um, my roots are in Georgia. So to see what happened in Brunswick um, hit really close to home in situations like that. And, you know, I actually watched the video for Ahmad and it was a tough pill to swallow because I look at my brother who is um, 24 and he likes to go and exercise and work out. Um, you know, he's not living in Brunswick, but could it happen to him in San Antonio, um, Texas? Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind of a con- constant worry. Um, after my, I'm not sure how many people are aware, but there was a young woman named Brianna Taylor who was killed inside of her own home um, in Louisville, Kentucky, while she was asleep. Um, it seemed to be a case of mistaken identity uh, as far as what they were potentially looking for. Um, but that hurts too, right? To think about the fact that you could be in your bed at home and... That was the one where they went in the wrong house? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, it, it, those type of situations are very painful. Mm. Um, I have not seen the George Floyd video. I have not been able to bring myself to watch it. Um, I don't think I ever particularly will bring myself to watch it. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's how I'm feeling. It's kind of all over the place. Um, and, and on the one hand, I'm, you know, worried. Um, my father is not that much older than George Floyd, you know, um, And when he leaves the house, when my brother leaves the house, their houses, um, I have often worried about them. But, you know, you kind of go through these bouts where you worry about them. Mm-hmm. Situation like this happens and it hurts and it really brings it to the forefront and you're reminded. And then you kind of go back to normal, you know, once the everything kind of dies down. Um but then it's just like this constant kind of reminder. Um, and one of the things that I talked about was the fact that, you know, I don't know if people realize this, but a lot of times these situations seems to have seem to happen in multiples. Um, Ahmad, Brianna, George, if you go a little bit back in time, you know, there was Philando, there was um, actually Tamir Rice, and um, Eric Garner happened pretty close to each other. And I never really kind of understand that. It's, it's, it's literally like yeah. you hear about one, then there's another, and then there's another. But what I think that that's very indicative of is that in most cases, these things aren't on videotape. We're just seeing the ones that got recorded. Mm-hmm. And not just the ones that got recorded, but the ones that went viral. Because there are many that I know of that I heard about and they're not like they never got big or mainstream or, you know, had protests to start happening. 
Um, because there was no footage. Because there was no footage, but sometimes there is footage and it just doesn't go viral um, for different instances, right? So I think to put that into perspective, that just kind of shows a lot of times that and indicates how often this really happens. And it's a constant trauma almost because not only are you dealing with, not almost, it is um, dealing with your kind of everyday trauma that comes from things like microaggressions, Mm -hmm. stereotypes, um, and other ignorance and different things like that. Um, But then you have to deal with these very highly publicized, politicized um, incidences. And one of the things that is particularly heartbreaking about these things is, you know, I I want to believe, like I I really, really want to believe that these men, these four officers that were involved will be arrested which they have been apparently today. The other three were arrested. The The other three were arrested and the the main officer, um, he was like manslaughter originally, but now they've upgraded it to second degree murder. A little bit better. But to a a lot of us, and, and I can't speak for, and I should have said this earlier, I'm not speaking for every black person in America. Like I'm, I'm not, (laughs) I can only speak from yeah. my experience and I think but I think it's important to say because yeah. a lot of times people take it as speaking for everybody I'm not um but I will say that I think a lot of the ways that we're feeling tend to be very similar um but a, a lot of times you don't really have hope that something is actually actually going to come from it because we have seen time and time and time again where there's uprising there's protests, um, someone is arrested, but then they're never convicted. Yeah. So I don't get my hopes up, quite frankly. Um, I, you hate to say that, but there's just, that's kind of like how the justice system has worked in this country. Um, and because of that, there's not a lot of hope or light at the end of the tunnel as far as justice being served. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that is always a very hard thing to grasp, like a very, very hard thing because you, you want something to hold on to. You want to seem important enough as a person and as a community and as a group of people that justice would work in your favor, but the hope isn't there. The light at the end of the tunnel is is never there. Um, one day I want to be surprised. I really do. Um, I don't think it's going to be this time though, personally. And um, and so some of that I have to do coping is like preparing myself for those moments too. I'll yeah. be honest with you. Um, when I was in fam at fam, um, the Trayvon Martin incident. In, in case where, um, and if whoever's listening isn't aware of Trayvon Martin's case, I would suggest um, definitely looking it up and doing research. But um, that particular 
incident in Florida that happened in Sanford, Sanford, Florida, played, was very close to my heart. Um, For one, I actually know Trayvon's older brother. He's a a good friend of mine who I met at FAM. And so that was personal. Um, And then when I look and think about the fact that George Zimmerman got off after that, Mm. um, that was an extremely emotional experience for me. I was at Wake Forest at the time. And I couldn't, I didn't know how to deal with it. Um, And it hurt a lot. And so I'm preparing myself even now for this, that situation playing itself out again and and what that could mean. Um, In addition, the seeing all of the protests on TV, um, it's hard to watch what exactly is going on. Um, I try not to watch mainstream media, I'll be honest with you, because a lot of times they push their own narrative um, and a narrative I don't agree with. Um, uh, There are a number of protests that are peaceful, um, but they only show the footage when it's not. It's it's only the juicy footage that gets on. Right. Yeah, as far as what gets on the air. but even times when it's not peaceful, you know, I follow a lot of people who have been participating in the protests here. Um, and I've read story on story of the police actually being the antagonizers a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Um, or or other people coming with bad intentions and they start to antagonize the police. And what ends up happening is tear gas, um, rubber bullets. I've seen some of my colleagues here in LA with um, stitches because of the rubber bullets that have hit their faces. Um, One colleague who is a USC alum uh, was actually arrested and we weren't sure this weekend how we were going to get him out. Thankfully he was released. You know, story and story uh, after that is is hard to watch as well. And it just kind of makes you It makes you just exhausted. Yeah. Um, with having to see all of the things that are like going on. Um, and it hurts to see it. It hurts to see like the president of this nation um, quoting a known uh, racist as far as when the looting starts, the shooting starts. Um, it's hard to see that. It's hard to see videos of protesters, black protesters, um, begging and pleading um, some non-black people, white and other races coming to the protest looting. Um, Saw one video of this young lady literally crying and begging these guys not to break in the windows because she knows that the narrative is going to be the peaceful Black Lives Matter. The protesters were the one who, ones who did it. Um, that type of stuff is hard because it's like re-victimization, you know, throughout all of this. Yeah. To have the movement co-opt 
co-opted um, by people with not great intentions, you know? Um, no, but It takes away from like the start where it's all about the police brutality and now they draw right. protests as being the source of the looting rather than if the police brutality had been something of focus within the actual police unit, there's something they need to improve on. Then right. all, all the steps A, B, C, D probably wouldn't have. Right. Um, exactly. And I, and I think that in a lot of ways, it's, it's easy to deflect um, because we want to talk about the looting and want to kind of focus on that, which in its essence, um, in no way people are condoning it. It is a matter though of finding root cause of things. And I think by looking at micro, like you're kind of looking at the, this one incident and not really looking at the bigger picture of what's going on in this country. And when you do that, you are deflecting from that. And not only are you deflecting, a lot of times, I know for me, when I see that deflection, my immediate thought is, so black lives don't matter. Because you look at this property, and not to say that property, property is very important. Um, people's livelihoods are based off the property and different things that they have. However, um, it's unfortunate that those things happen, but let's talk about the root cause and what's really, really important here. And I think that a lot of times that can get missed primarily because we like to look at individual incidences and not look at the entirety of systematic racism. Mm. Um, systemic racism in this country and recognizing that pain and that anger enough to know that like this isn't new George Floyd isn't new I can name off people right now before George Floyd and as I mentioned there's a whole lot of people we will never know because something wasn't captured on camera but you know, 92 LA riots based off of what happened with Rodney King. Um, After Martin Luther King died, there was riots all across America um, soon after the civil rights act. And that legislation, that's like, that's the only kind of legislation that really moves the needle on civil rights. But honestly, can you imagine like that's old, (laughs) right? Yeah. I mean, that's, um, Right when probably my dad was born, he was in his 50s yeah. now. So, 50s, yeah. yeah. So it's hard when you think about different things like that. And, you know, sometimes people get numb to it. I think this time feels a little bit different, where it's really hard to kind of be numb to it. Um, like really hard to be. Um, but if we continue to just kind of sit in the trauma that we have to deal with over and over again. You know, I understand why, you know, people are upset. People are mad and people are angry. Um, People are hopeless a lot of times because you just don't see the light at the end of the tunnel in these types of situations. And um, 
a lot of people, me including, have situations where I stop and think, well, when's going to be the next one? Like, I, I wish I could have the thought that, like, God, I hope this is the last one. But I don't. And um, in addition to that, having to deal with that, so there's layers here, right? And I'm trying to kind of pull back the layers. In addition to that, there's also the difficulty with openly talking about these type of things in this country. Um, I have gone through my life largely not saying much about these things to people who are Mm -hmm. non-Black. I would go into work, for example, when Philando Castile when it happened with him and his story was he was murdered by a cop in inside his car. Um, he had a gun on him, but that's his second amendment. Like he has the right to bear arms um, within his own private vehicle. And he also had a license to carry. Um, but, and, and effectively, if you watch the video, in most cases people would say he did, essentially all the right things, um, but he was still murdered. And I remember when that happened and I was working at Georgia Pacific at the time. And I remember having to go into work the next day after sitting up and watching the protests and what ensued after his murder. um, I had to go into work the next day and I had to grit my teeth and I had to be quiet about it. And when my manager asked me, how I was doing, I said, oh, I'm fine. And just kept it moving. Um, Out of fear that one, if I told him how I really felt, he wouldn't understand. And two, even past the not understanding, you also worry about, is that person going to invalidate my own experience? Because I've had that happen to me where people have, you know, poured my heart out about certain situations and people were like, no, nah, that doesn't happen. Um, that hurts. And that in itself is its own emotional trauma. Um, not having people speak about it or say anything about it feels like its own trauma too, as well, especially people that you personally care about um, and you kind of want to speak up on your behalf. And I think that, you know, at least for me, I got to a point where I was like, I, I'm i tired of living life this way. I'm tired of feeling like I can't even speak about things that are literally hurting me. No. Um, now, on the flip side to that, it could be a burden to have to be the person to speak. Um, it can be a burden to have to be the person to educate. Yeah. Um, people about racism there's there's google there's a lot of different resources that people can look into um in regards to that and so that in itself again can be a burden um so there's a lot of layers here right of uh, situations where trauma kind of after trauma after trauma and i i just want to understand you know I'm still working through my feelings, honestly. And how I feel today is going to be different how I feel tomorrow. 
you know, um, I've been happy to get support um, from some of our classmates. I've also been extremely disappointed in seeing how some of our classmates have reacted to some of the things. Um, and so it's a constant yo-yo, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth of what these emotions are. But what I do know is that at some point, these emotions will likely subside, um, or at least the back and forth of emotions will likely subside. Um, but then I just wonder, when it, when's the next time? Yeah. And I hate to say that, it's extremely unfortunate, but that's kind of, I mean, that's the, the situation. And honestly, as a black person in this country, um, I've had 28 years of this pretty much. Um, and as a group of people, we're talking 400 years of this. Um, if you look at specifically, you know, 1619, first slaves arrived here um, for West Africa. So it's been a long journey. Um, over 400 years and in my 28 so far um, I've seen a lot of injustice still and what I would definitely say is that for those who may seem or to think that we're in a post-racial society we are not um, racism is still very much a real thing it is not just you wearing a clan hood um, or waving the confederate flag or saying the n-word um, that may be overt racism, but yep. there is very much covert racism that exists as well. And things like the incident with Amy Cooper calling the cops on Christian Cooper in New York Central Park. Yep. That is an example of covert racism. Microaggressions are another example. And we have to be honest about that fact and we have to come to terms with that fact um and i think that in this country we've never really came to terms with it ever um people will argue that well it was over with the civil rights act right racism is over but it's not growing up in the south segregation is still very much a thing um heck LA <laughs> segregation is still very much a thing and it may not be by law or jurisdiction anymore, but it's a thing. Um, and we have to stop and wonder like, why, why is it still a thing? You know, um, I have a good book on that, by the way, <laughs> if anyone's interested, but, um, you know, there's a lot of not, really horrible things that have happened historically and horrible things that are happening today. And I just wonder, I don't know if it's going to be in my lifetime when we can get past the history and the, the present. Um, I think the first steps to that is one, acknowledging that Historically, there was a problem, and today, there is still a problem. I mean, historically, um, acknowledging that there's always room for improvement. So Yes, and it gets better. Just because it's better doesn't mean we're at 100%. Uh, 
like like all the companies that we look through in our MBA program, uh, no one's ever satisfied with uh, any sort of inefficiencies when it comes to operations. So why should we, we be satisfied with it in sort of the way we run our lives? You shouldn't. And I'll give you an example of not being satisfied, right? Um, a lot of brands and companies are coming out um, in support of Black Lives Matter. Um, but I think on the one hand, we also have to hold them responsible because many of them do not have uh, people in their C-suite, um, executive level, um, maybe even managerial director level that are people of color um, and specifically black people. And, you know, PR statements, um, acknowledgement, good intent is not enough, um, truth be told. Like if we really want to make a difference, it's a start, but it can't be the only step that is taken, you know, mm -hmm. so. The first of many. Right, a lot of them, <laughs> a lot of them. Okay, so um, I think going into our second question here, uh, which is kind of building upon this a little bit is, um, uh, you are, of course, the president of the Black Graduate Business Leaders uh, Club here at Marshall. So mm -hmm. uh, kind of also want to sort of uh, get to know a little bit more about what the individual club's experience has been uh, during this time. And how do you as the president think that uh, event, an event like this will shape sort of the future of your club going forward? Yeah. Um, so BGBL, uh, or at least the way I look at Black graduate business leaders is, you know, it, it's a community within a community. Um, it is a group of people, um, mostly Black, who are here to connect, network, support one another. Um, that's my vision, you know, definitely for um, being in leadership for BGBL. And this time in particular shows how important the community aspect is because we talk a lot about like how exhausted, you know, um, just exhausted that I am and, and my other black classmates are for them for the most part, again, can't speak for everybody, yeah. but that really shines a light on kind of the importance of the community because when we feel like we don't have anywhere else to go, we should be able to come to one another to connect and to vent and to share and to virtually hug one another, you know? Um, and so I think there's a lot of work that we will continue to do to build community. But one of the things that we have done specifically in this time is um, we actually hosted a uh, intentionally exclusive um, but safe space for black students, black faculty and staff, and also black alum of Marshall this past weekend. And um, a number of people came to talk and to vent and to share, um, to brainstorm in some ways of like what things we could do. Mm -hmm. But I think for, I mentioned earlier that part of the trauma is you feel like you have nowhere to go to talk about these things and to release. And so first, before we even start to talk about action steps, you got to get past the emotions 
and being able to release and have that safe space to talk about it in itself is part of, you know, it doesn't take the burden off, yeah. but it gives you a li- like a little bit of a reprieve. Um, and so, you know, that call was so cathartic, like it ended up being two hours, over 70 people were on it. It was amazing to release and to talk to one another, um, you know, through this experience. And I think that continuing to community build and to co- continuing to support one another is foundational. Like we have to do that. So though, that is some of the ways that we, or at least what we've done thus far. Um, but in the same sense, like the future of it is now um, many of us are coming into a place of being more vocal and talking about injustice and racism and different things like that and how it impacts us, you know? And the future as I see it is us not being quiet. Um, about not just injustice on the broader scale, but other things that ways that we can improve even here within Marshall in regards to DNI. Um, and that is a collaborative effort. It's not just like BGBL by itself. Um, there's a number of groups and organizations and other, uh, other affinity clubs. And there have been classmates who have reached out to me um, to talk about let's brainstorm, let's figure out things that we can do. Um, to help, which has been um, nice to have for sure. Um, But the future is us speaking about matters that are important to us, because I think that this experience is really kind of emboldened. Um, I know for me, like, again, I can speak for myself in this case, but it's definitely made me come into a space of um, I'm not accepting being silent anymore um, about things that really matter to me. And so um, I expect the organization to move into a space of challenging the status quo in a number of ways. And um, I don't entirely know what that looks like right now, but um, I'm excited to see us come into our own and to continue the community building, but also start to be a louder voice in the conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, at Marshall and I'm you know excited for that future for what me and the board are doing but even beyond us in hopes of the next round of leadership um, what they do as well and I will say that uh, one of the initiatives that we're really focusing on this year is that we're connecting with students outside of the MBA program so we have the part-time program we have the executive MBA program. We have the, you know, Masters of Business for the Veterans program. And we have Black students that occupy spaces in all of those programs. And we want them to be with us in BGBL um, just as much as we want all of the full-time MBA uh, students to be a part and any allies who want to be a part Mm -hmm. as well. So, you know, we're really trying our best to reach across Marshall and not just kind of keep it like a full-time MBA club. Um, And so I'm excited to forge those partnerships as well and start to get some new voices in the mix too um, in regards to that. So, uh, you know, I think that we have a lot of opportunity here. There's momentum given what's kind of going on uh, in the world today. And I think a lot of people 
you know, we have a lot of people's ears that we hadn't always had. Yeah. And um, so it's going to be interesting to see um, how exactly we come into that responsibility um, and, or that kind of sense of, of next steps and, and, and future. But um, I, I mean, I see a big year for us. Yeah. And, um, you know, I'm excited, excited about it. I mean, I'm excited for it too. I'm excited to see um, how, how the Marshall community at large sort of reacts to the louder voice uh, from your community. And I'm, I'm optimistic that it'll be yeah, met, for the most part. met with very well intentions. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, you know, I, I think we're, we're, we're getting more ears, Yeah, but um you know, in, in addition to ears, though, um, I see us challenging again, um, kind of past just acknowledgement, past just intention. Um, and that's for everybody in the community. Um, mm-hmm. But definitely excited to collaborate and and um, work across Marshall mm-hmm. for all of the different causes. Now, I mean, this week we're talking about the black community, but yeah. um there are a number of communities who need all of our support throughout the year. Um, and in daily practice, we all can be better yeah. about how we treat our different classmates um, and how we check our own privileges, biases, and different things like that. So, um, you know, we're, we just have to build from here and go, you know, build today, you know, it's kind of our turn, I like to say, but um there's going to be other communities that need our support and um, love at other times too. So we just have to get better as a community in general, supporting all of us and every person um, so that people can feel valued and people can feel seen. And that is really how you foster a sense of, of belonging. And for the allies out there to just sort of make sure that, you don't just include yourself in one and assume that you've helped the cause across all the other different uh, groups here at Marshall, but that you sort of, like you said, stay vigilant and uh, it may be your time now, but someone else will need it in the future. And so it's important to be acknowledging of that. Um, The the last question we have for uh, today goes more into some of, I guess, um, the current allies that might be out there that are listening. So um, for those people that are listeners that, um, or outside of the black community. I just sort of wanted to sort of, I guess, vocalize some ways in which uh, they can either help the cause or even learn more about the cause. Since I know that uh, the burden of spreading the information is a lot on uh, you as well as the other members in our class. Uh, I felt there's a good way to sort of get these vocalized and sort of shared. So anything you share will be sort of placed in the show notes for everyone else to find, to access online. Uh, yeah. Just a good way to sort of, sort of taking a little bit of the burden off. Yeah. The one thing I would say is that uh, first and foremost, a lot of the, because this topic is so timely, um, allyship and talking about what that looks like is so timely. Google is going to have a plethora of resources and news articles and different things about um, what it means to be an ally. Instagram will have like a lot of stuff. I know I've been sharing things in my stories as I see them. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, I think the thing 
you kind of have to keep in mind is that, you know, there is a lot out there, um, but make sure as you're reading, you're keeping an open mind um, and also seeking to learn. So one of the articles that I shared in uh, the 2021 chat, of course, was a Medium article about 75 things that white people can do um, to fight racial injustice. That is one of the best comprehensive articles about actual action that you can take to make an impact. And it includes all types of things. So the other important thing is you have to realize that as you engage, that there are multiple ways to engage. Um, whether that's with your time, whether that's with your money, whether that's with going on the front lines and actually protesting, um, whether that is making sure you're educated on microaggressions. Like there's so many different ways to engage. And what I like about that article is it gives you a range, right? There are some things that people are comfortable with as far as like, I want to spend money for this cause. Well, hey, put money where people are actually fighting for it, like actually doing the work. So Color of Change is a probably the largest organization in regards to um, fighting racial injustice in this nation. Um, they can use donations right now. Um, Black Lives Matter, Black Lives Matter is not just a hashtag or a phrase, it is indeed an organization. So you can use resources toward there and Black Lives Matter, Black Lives, whew, goodness gracious, Black Lives Matter um, has an LA chapter. And a lot of times they are the ones that are putting in the work to organize and mobilize people on the front lines. Um, so support can be done there. Um, giving to the NAACP is also um, an effort that you can take as far as um, different things that you can do. Um, but in regards to education, there are other things, right? And, and honestly, I think education is probably the first thing that anyone should do. Like, it's easier to kind of like, oh, I want to jump in. I want to get involved in different things like that. I do want to encourage action, but I also want to encourage thoughtful and insightful and educated action. Um, there is a lot to learn about racism and how it lives in this country and how it festers and different things like that. And the last thing you want to do is try to, you know, give action, but then cause harm because you didn't know any better. So please, 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 as you're being active and different things like that, learn as well. So, um, there's a few books that I have. Um, one that I really like is called uh, Stamped from the Beginning, The Definitive History of Racist Ideas in America by um, Ibram Kennedy, Ibram X. Kennedy. And it's a pretty thick book, but it really goes into the history of race in this country. And the fact that Typically, when we see racial progress, the increase of racial progress, 
is also coupled with the increase of racial hate. And it's been extremely interesting uh, to get educated on that piece because um, I think to the point, a lot of people think, you know, I'm shocked that this is happening. I'm shocked that this is uh, a thing, but it's not new, right? And so this book really helps to understand that this is not a new phenomenon by any means. So I think that's a really good one. Um, he also has a, the same author, Ibram Kennedy, has a book called, um, I think it's called How to Be Anti-Racist. Um, How to Be Anti-Racist. And I have not personally read that book, but I've seen it shared a lot as far as a place that you can go to get a lot of education. Um, in addition to that, there is the book White, Fr White Fragility. Um, I can't remember the author's name. Oh, Robin D'Angelo. Robin D'Angelo. Yeah, is the author there. And um, so White Fragility is another book that is um, often talked about. Again, personally, I have not read it, but um, I've heard some good things about it. Um, in addition, there's all types of books on just history in general. Um, another one that I like is called Slavery by Another Name, The Re-Enslavement of Black Americans from the Civil War to World War II by Douglas A. Blackman. Um, it indeed is a, another good book, specifically as you uh, think about the prison system here in America is really extremely, extremely important, especially as we talk about police brutality, to see how all of those things work together. Yeah. Um, in the justice system. Quite frankly, the justice system in this country, um, for Black people specifically, um, it has never worked for us, mainly against us. So books like this are important to read to get some understanding in regards to that. Um, if somebody is a film person or a documentary person and would like to know about that topic, Ava DuVernay has a documentary called The 13th. It is on Netflix. Um, and it's another thing that talks about um, essentially was called the new Jim Crow. There's a book also called the new Jim Crow mm. um, that talks about that. So uh, watch the 13th, read slavery by another name, read the new Jim Crow. And um, it gives you a very vivid understanding about the justice system in this country. Um, another book that I like is called uh, why are all the black kids sitting together in the cafeteria and other conversations on race and it's by uh, Dr. Beverly Daniel Tatum. It's another really good book to just kind of understand race relations in this country in general, different topics. Um, the last book that I personally have is a, is a little bit different um, in the sense that it talks about segregation, but specifically how city planning and urban planning played a huge part in the development of uh, segregation in this country. It's called The Color of Law, A Forgotten History of How Our Government Segregated America. Um, 
it really goes in depth about the interstate system and how it plays a part. Um, personally, for me, in Nashville, there is actually an interstate interstate 40, which goes east to west in Tennessee, cuts specifically through the historically black neighborhood that used to be the epicenter of the black community in Nashville. And um, when you cut through it, there is economic impact that can devastate communities. And this book talks about that. Um, and so just to kind of give another perspective on, again, how systemic racism is, that it plays into the city planning and urban planning of this country. It's really, really crazy to think about. I'll just be honest with you. Yeah. Um, but it's important to understand how all of these things work together in the bigger picture. So those are a few resources that I know of off the top of my head. I know a number of classmates have been sharing um, other graphics and different things like that um, in order to get educated. So, you know, those are some resources, but I would suggest things. I've heard a few other programs are doing things like um, allies are spearheading book clubs on the books like White Fragility or they are having calls and trainings themselves in, in regards to allyship. And I would encourage um, the allies in our program to consider doing those things as well. Like maybe pull together with resources, study them together, have a conversation with one another and your you know, an intuitive understanding about what you're reading and um, helping and kind of being a tribe and support system while you all are reading through these things because um, I'll acknowledge that this work is not easy for anybody like black people have to do it because we're burdened with it every day but um, it's, it's not an easy thing to do and so if you all at least can do it together work together do a come to terms with it in a book club or a support group or something like that yeah that that could help as well and that could also be almost like i guess a safe space for allies to really ask some of those more probably dumber questions that some of us might have about some issues as well yeah yeah um and honestly those the one thing i would say through this too is that those dumb questions are going to come up yeah but just consider them as inevitable quite frankly and if yeah. you have a dumb question try google first see if you can find the answer. If you, I, I think a lot of times you may be able to find that answer. Um, if you can't, you, black peers, classmates, colleagues may be willing to answer, um, but I'm not signing anybody up for that. <laughs> yep, of course. Personally, So uh, just be cognizant of that and the burden that you may be putting on. Um, a black classmate or a black peer or, or what have you by asking those questions. Try Google first. If, if you can't get it then, maybe reach out. Um, but just know that this journey is going to be uncomfortable. Like we have to all be extremely uncomfortable with this. The only way it's going to be a difference, you know? And so again, doing more than acknowledging and doing more than just having good intent. Um, requires discomfort yep. it requires dealing with a lot of crazy feelings um 
but just know that that work is only half of what many of us have to deal with on a, a day-to-day basis. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that extensive list of uh, material you gave. I know I'm, I, I think I, I got most of it. So uh, everything that you mentioned, all the books, the films, as well as the resources online uh, will be located down in the show notes. Um, so I'll share links where I can, as well as just the name of books and authors where I also can. Uh, I know I'll be looking to a few of these resources for my own education as well. Um, and just to sort of wrap up the show here, um, uh, in terms of like a thank you for coming on the show and being a part of this episode, uh, I usually give the guests about a minute to have almost like uh, their own sort of plug for whatever they want. Uh, uh, being as the conversation we've had, uh, you can continue for another minute, I guess, to plug anything more specific that you're thinking of, or uh, okay. maybe just a grandstanding message in general. Uh, yeah. So, whenever you're ready. So I would definitely say um, I want to keep this momentum up. And I think one of the really good ways to do that, because, um, you know, this news cycle will go through the news cycle, but we will come back together with each other in the fall. And there are ways that we can uh, really make a difference. One of those ways is getting involved in the affinity groups. And even if you do not identify with an affinity group, Um, as an ally, as someone who is interested in learning and getting to know uh, classmates who look different than you, uh, come to our events, become a member, engage with us, have discussions with us. And I mean this from a standpoint of BGBL, please come to our events. Um, But also I mean this in regards to uh, the Latino Management and Business Association. I mean this in regards in regards to GAPS, I mean this in regards to GWIB, um, all of the different affinity clubs, get involved, have conversations, um, be vulnerable, be open, um, but also listen intently and become educated. But um, if anything, to keep it up, be involved, be a part, be engaged with all of us. Perfect. And again, to just, I mean, think, I think the sign up for any affinity club or all of them it's 20 bucks so yeah uh, price is definitely not a factor when it comes to sort of getting out there and getting involved in all these amazing groups um and so the last part for today's show is again we'll keep it for tonight is the song of the night uh and so prior to the show uh you chose the song heat wave by mariba mm-hmm. um is there any uh, specific <laughs> choice in song yeah Um, I think it's very timely. So um, it talks about police brutality. Um, And in it, she says, a long summer, a long summer. Um, We're in the summertime. And it's going to be a long summer um, in regards to a lot of the different things that are going on. And so I just think it's extremely pertinent. It speaks to the times. Um, So, you know, it is provocative. um, And I think we need some provocation in these days and times. So that's why I chose it. Perfect. Okay. And uh, that's about all the time we have on the show today. Uh, I want to thank you again, Arya, for taking the time out of your day to come on here and have uh, this amazing discussion with me. I know it's probably not the discussion that you would have wanted for our episode traditionally, but I'm still really thankful that uh, you chose to take the time to have this conversation today. Thanks for inviting me. And then the closeout for today's show, again, is the song Heatwave by Mariba. So until next time, folks.
Oh. 